Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The American Folklife Preservation Act of 1976 directed the Library of Congress to gather stories and art of everyday people to reflect the identity of America, which is to recognize the core of family and community life. The thought is that by linking us to the past, we are better able to develop our understanding of the present. The StoryCorps is a current project of the American Folklife Center. Two Airstream trailers, retrofitted with state-of-the-art recording equipment, will visit towns and cities throughout the United States for about a year, beginning in June 2005, to collect recordings of everyday people interviewing each other about their lives. Anyone will be welcome to visit the StoryCorps trailer that may be near where you live by signing up online at www.storycorps.net. You will receive a copy of your interview, and if you wish, you may donate a copy to the Library of Congress. Peggy Bolger the director of the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress met with me at her office on May 20, 2005 in Washington, D.C. We began our conversation by reviewing the history of the American Folklife Center and the purpose of the StoryCorps project. The American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress actually was established in 1976 by an act of Congress uh, because Congress decided that uh, the National Library should have um, a division that is devoted specifically to our cultural heritage to preserve and present American folklife. So uh, we'll get back to that later. So we have uh, quite a history here at the library. We inherited an archive that had been started in 1928. It was originally called the Archive of American Folk Song. That was the Alan Lomax production. Well, actually, in yes, in part. Uh, it started by a man named Robert Winslow Gordon in 1928. John and Alan Lomax worked here from the early 1930s to 1942. It's been going ever since and um, includes recordings from wax cylinder recordings from the 1890s all the way up to digital recordings that we're receiving today. But the StoryCorps project is our newest project um, and it's one that was created by David Isay who is a young uh, radio producer uh, who is the president of what's called Sound Portraits Productions. And it was his brainchild because he'd been coming here to the archive uh, for many years and using our recordings for different radio productions that he was using. For instance, he would use our recordings of ex-slaves that were done in the 1930s telling their story about what it was like to live under slavery. Or he used our man in the street interviews that were recorded on the day after Pearl Harbor or they, we have a recording of a man who remembered meeting Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so he'd been using our recordings over the years, and especially we have all of the sound recordings that were done by the Federal Writers Project uh, during the 1930s. 
And that was a huge, as you know, a documentary project all over the country that um, it hasn't been done since. That was 70 years ago. And that was established under the New Deal to provide employment for people. Right. It was basically empl uh, employment for out-of-work writers, journalists, um, teachers, anybody who could write could get a job, basically, on the Federal Writers Project, and they didn't really know what to do with them. And so uh, Benjamin Botkin, who is the head of the folklore unit, had the brilliant idea, really, that uh, people should go out and collect stories in the community. And so that's what happened. Um, and so those uh, manuscripts and tapes are used all the time by researchers. I mean, there's a very popular collection, and David decided we needed to have a contemporary uh, um, collection that would, you know, expand upon that work that was done 70 years ago. The historical collection is available to the public. Absolutely. They just need to come into the Library of Congress across from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Right. and ask. That's exactly right. And in fact, 21 of our collections are fully digitized and up on our website. So you don't even have to come to Washington. You can get into the website. Tell us the website. It's www.loc.gov slash folklife. And folklife is one word, F-O-L-K-L-I-F-E. Before we hear about the story, Cora, can you briefly tell us what are in the 21 collections that are available on the website? Well, one that you'd be very interested in is called California Gold. It, these were the recordings that were done by Todd Sonkin during the 1930s, during the WPA, uh, um, interviewing, uh, you know, immigrants to uh, California during that Depression era, especially people escaping the Dust Bowl. So there's songs, there's stories, incredibly interesting recordings that were done by him. Uh, all over California, especially in the migrant labor camps. Uh, we also have recordings of uh, Hispanic music and song that were done in the 30s in New Mexico. We have Omaha Indian music and dance. We have a whole collection that's on Patterson, New Jersey, where during the 1970s our staff went and interviewed people about work. Patterson was the very first urban um, area to have be designated a historic site because of the old mills and it's very interesting collection that talks to all kinds of people about recipes, about work, about celebrations in the community. So the StoryCorps is the 21st century edition of collecting who we are as Americans. That's exactly right. How does the project work? Well, it's very interesting. Um, it's taken off in a big way. This started 18 months ago with David Isay's idea that he wanted to start having people come two by two. You could come with your grandmother or your grandfather or a colleague at work or somebody that you wanted to interview. Come to the booth. For $10, you go into a state-of-the-art recording booth. And the first recording booth opened 18 months ago in Grand Central Station. And it's open seven days a week, you know, seven hours a day. Uh, you go in, you have 40 minutes in a state-of-the-art sound booth with a facilitator who's running the equipment and helping you to, you know, set the ground rules and make you comfortable and suggesting um, questions if you can't think of any. 
And then you come out with a copy, a, a CD copy of the interview to take home with you, and one copy stays with StoryCorps uh, to be deposited in the American Folklife Center's archive here at the Library of Congress. That's an unedited uh, copy with right. all of the names and details in it. Right. Any privacy concerns by uh, the you have to. Um, David has said so far, 99% of people have no problem with the interview going to the Library of Congress, but if you don't want it to go to the Library of Congress, you have that option too. You don't need to have it go. So you can still record it, do the interview for your own personal pleasure right. and use. Right, right. But most of the time, people have no, no problem with it. Um, and, uh, you know, we think that's important because we think that 100 years from now, this collection is going to be extremely well used because it is a record of everyday America as opposed to interviews with famous people and, you know, the celebrities and the stars. That, you know, we've got that. But what we don't have is, you know, what a taxi driver in New York was feeling on 9-11 or what, uh, you know, the, uh, the librarian in the manuscripts department here at uh, the Library of Congress, what uh, unusual things they found in the collections, you know, going through them, that kind of thing. A person who wants to interview their friend, or their relative, uh, or even someone who they don't know, how would they go about participating in the StoryCorps effort? They can get into the StoryCorps website, which is www.storycorps.net. And that's C-O-R-P-S, not right. C-O-R-E. Right, C -O -R -E. right, like a core, like a... Uh, like the Peace Corps. Like the Peace Corps, it's the StoryCorps. And uh, there's, um, you can sign up online. The, um, that one booth in uh, New York City in Grand Central Station is still there and will continue to be there. And you can sign up to go to that booth in New York City. Or what we were doing uh, just yesterday was launching the, the newest phase of StoryCorps, which are two mobile story booths that are going around the country. Uh, they have a schedule now for the next six months. And on the StoryCorps website, you can see where they're going. And if they're coming near you, just go ahead and see if you can't sign up for um, going to the booth when it's near your, uh, your hometown. So today, May 20th, 2005, is day two of the StoryCorps National Collecting Project. Right, absolutely. And the, the two StoryCorps booths are actually um, retrofitted Airstream trailers. They're right now sitting in front of the Library of Congress, right across from the Capitol building. And uh, people, ha we are all booked up for the next 10 days. They'll be here for 10 days. And we are completely booked. Uh, with people who are coming to, uh, to interview people. And as you know, this project um, has to have uh, private funding because we only charge $10 for the interview, and it costs us about $200 for each interview. So the, <laughs> the economics don't exactly add up, but we feel it's very important that nobody should be denied you know, coming to do this because they don't have the money. Is the fee waived if people don't have the money? 
No, we feel it's very important that ten dollars is is a commitment that we want to have people make because uh, we found that if you give things away, sometimes people don't show up. You know, there's many people in line waiting to do this. Like I said, we're to totally booked up. If we didn't at least charge the ten dollars, some people may not show up, and then other people wouldn't have the chance to interview. Uh, and so we do just feel it's very important to make at least that minor commitment. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with Peggy Bulger, the director of the American Folklife Center in the Library of Congress, across the street from the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C., about the StoryCorps project, which is about to embark on a trip across the United States to gather stories of everyday people about everyday American life, uh, so that the storytellers and question askers may have a copy, and if they wish, donate a copy to the Library of Congress. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Peggy, what do you see as the cohesion or the creation of community aspects of this project? Well, I think that StoryCorps is an idea that um, has been needed for many, many years because, as you know, people always told stories to get the news. Originally, uh, families would gather, uh, family stories would be passed down from generation to generation. Um, there would be community stories that everyone would know and tell. In recent years, more and more we become a consumer society where somebody else tells the stories and we listen. And to me, the thing that is lost is the one-on-one -on -one listening and being listened to that is absolutely crucial to uh, human communication and, and making the, um, the kind of emotional connection with other people, especially people who are in your own family. And many times I, I think of myself, I, I'm even a folklorist, so I've been interviewing people all of my professional life. But you know, I never interviewed my grandmother before she died. And now I could kick myself. It's like the <laughs> shoemaker and the, you know, the kids not having any shoes because I think, you know, I always thought, oh, I can do that another day. I can do that another day. And, um, and I'd listen to her, but I never got that on tape. And some of those stories now, I'm beginning to forget, you know? And so I, I feel it's really important to have the human voice and have a recording of that human voice uh, into the future. Tell me about your grandmother. Well, my grandmother, uh, very interesting. Uh, she's a direct descendant of Benjamin Franklin. And she was born and raised in a tiny town in upstate New York, uh, Delhi, New York. And um, she was valedictorian of her high school class, which was 10 people. How old would she be if she were alive now? Oh, Lord, let's see. She would be uh, 98. And she died about 15 years ago. She was, as I said, like valedictorian of her high school class, but back then, you know, women usually didn't go beyond high school. She married my grandfather, and when my mother was 10 years old, my grandfather died suddenly of a brain aneurysm, and my grandmother was left 
having to make a living. So she packed up my mother and moved to the big city, which was Albany, New York, and went to nursing school and raised my mom on her own. She never remarried. She's a very independent woman. Way into her 70s, she was a master at bridge. I hated bridge because both my mother and grandmother were passionate about it, but I would go to these bridge tournaments and here would be all these young men from Harvard and my grandmother playing bridge, you know. <laughs> so she was very sharp right up to the end. And she just had wonderful stories about growing up in upstate New York. Uh, she was a wonderful cook. And I never got that on tape. I wish, I, I wish now I had that. Using your grandmother as an example, what kinds of questions would you ask her about her life? Well, first of all, I'd ask her about what, uh, what it was like to be a very bright woman in Delhi, New York, and you know, she was valedictorian of her class. Was that easy or hard, or what, what, how she felt about that? And then, you know, ask her about, uh, you know, the the hardship of moving to uh, Albany because she had to make, you know, she had to go back to school. How did that happen? You know, what what did she do with my mother during the day while she was going to school and with no help because there was no other family really around? Um, and then uh, I'd ask her what her uh, favorite memory of her husband was because her husband obviously died when she was a young woman and why she never remarried and uh, you know what uh, and then ask her you know how, how did she ever get into playing bridge you know <laughs> and why that was so important you know uh, things like that. So the feelings and the favorites right how did you get into it right and love stories you know what you know how did she meet her husband and you know what what he meant to her that kind of thing well let me ask you uh, Peggy Bolger the director of the um, American Folklife Center in the <laughs> Library of Congress how did you get into this project um, well how did I get uh, to be a folklorist that's uh, yeah uh, <laughs> It's very interesting. When I was young, when I was a teenager growing up in Albany, New York, I played uh, folk music uh, in a folk revival group. I sailed on the clear water with Pete Seeger when I was a young teenager, um, but never knew you could study this kind of thing. So I went to college for studio art. I was also very interested in folk crafts and art. Can, without revealing too much, what uh, time period was this? Oh, I was, I graduated from high school in 68 and so, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, I was going to college and uh, all during, I, say, I would say I started playing folk music in about 1963 and, um, and being interested in folk music, let's put it that way. I was doing way. that then too. Yes, I know, we're all, we're part of that great folk revival and I was fortunate enough to be in upstate New York where um, you know, there was the Cafe Lena and the Fox Hollow Folk Festival and Pete Seeger's uh, Clearwater, and so there was a huge group of people uh, that were in this folk song revival. But like I said, I never knew you could study it, so I was going to school for art. And when I graduated, I tried to get a job and realized, oh, I, <laughs> I'm not going to be a starving artist. 
So I went to school for something practical. I found out that you could actually get a, degree, a master's degree in folk studies at Western Kentucky University, and I had no idea. Went down there, and of course my mother about had a heart attack. I'm going to school for something practical, like folklore. <laughs> she thought there's no hope for me. And, uh, but it was a wonderful decision. Um, I graduated from there and became immediately got a job. It was 1975, and I got a job as the first state folklorist in Florida and ended up staying for 12 years uh, doing the state Florida Folklife program. And then uh, went back to school and got a PhD in folk studies and folklore uh, from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And then ended up in Atlanta um, doing the folk arts program for Southern Arts Federation for 10 years and then ended up here. This is, you know, like the dream job of every folklorist, I swear, to be the director of the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress is really, you know. I, I see that it is looking at the <laughs> uh, histories and the personal stories that you have here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really an astounding place and we have materials that are, you know, every day we find something else that's, that we didn't know we had. For instance, just last week, we were going through some of our WPA materials and we found that we have um, recordings that were done by Arthur Miller, who was, who was actually employed by the Federal Writers Project because he was an out-of-work out of writer. And so we have some of his documentary uh, tapes here. We found that we have the very first sound recordings of Alistair Cook. He was uh, recorded in the 1940s for the American Dialect Society, and we have all of those recordings. The American Dialect Society in the 1940s and 50s went all over the country recording people talking just for their accents and for you know, how different people talk across the country. I want to ask you a little more about asking questions. Mm -hmm. When someone says, you know all my stories, or I don't have anything to tell. Well, you have to be patient. I find that, um, you know, as a young folklorist, the biggest mistake that somebody can make when you're interviewing someone is to be impatient and have, you know, if you wait somebody out, uh, people usually begin to talk. If, if someone says, oh, I have nothing that I can tell you, um, you very easily could ask a, a pointed question, not a yes or no question, but a question that requires someone to actually describe something. And then be patient, just wait. Don't jump in if they, if they don't immediately begin talking. And I find, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the field work that I did in Florida, I worked with uh, the Seminole Indians and the Miccosukee Indians many times. And especially, I find Native American people have a very slow and deliberate way of considering a question. And it sometimes will take, you know, two or three minutes, which seems like an eternity when you're, you know, trying to record someone to just wait in quiet while they consider the question and formulate what they're going to, you know, answer. Because we're so used to everyone being so immediate and, and talking fast and 
Do you see a connection between that period of waiting and considering the question um, and the Native American tradition of passing stories through the oral tradition? Oh yeah, I think that uh, there are many cultures um, in communities across the United States that really do still value the, uh, the oral tradition and uh, legends and stories and, and wisdom passed down uh, from generation to generation. And many of the Native Americans that I've worked with, uh, of course, have a wonderful repertoire of oral history that's just right in their heads that they pass down. And you don't want to pass down words that are untrue or flippant, and you want to consider because words have value, very much more valuable than many people think. And, and if your words are valuable, you want to be careful about what words you utter. <laughs> Peggy Bolger, director of the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately. Oh gosh, you know, I just finished reading a book that's just, been, just come out, it's called Ireland, a Novel. And this is perfect for this because uh, it's by Frank Delaney and uh, it's just been out and it's a fabulous book. It's a novel, but it's about a young boy in Ireland who meets a Shanaki. A Shanaki is a traditional storyteller who uh, in Irish tradition and actually tradition in Scotland and, and England too. But especially in Irish tradition, storytellers would go from town to town and they of course would be welcomed with open arms and everyone in the community, would, maybe they'd be put up in one household and everyone in the community would come at night to listen to the storyteller. And the storyteller would pass on the legends of Irish tradition, they would pass on news, uh, a whole range of oral traditions from stories about Cúchulainn uh, and, and the um, Dedanon, stories about the little people, stories about the uprising of 1916. So uh, everything from oral history, what we would consider history of events, to legends and stories from prehistory. And uh, so the book is wonderful. It's about the value of stories. And during the course of the novel, you actually get a lot of history about Ireland because the storyteller is telling you all about um, some of the high points and low points of Irish history. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Peggy Bolger, director of the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress, thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Peggy Bolger is the director of the American Folklife Center of the Library of Congress, which will be the repository of the stories collected by the StoryCorps. The book that she recommends is Ireland, a novel by Frank Delaney. You may locate the StoryCorps 
on the internet at www.storycorps.net and the Library of Congress at www.loc.gov. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.